Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather to worship and to praise you, as we lift our voices high into the rafters of this sanctuary, let our hearts be filled by the glory of your Spirit. Let your words just pour into us. Let us clearly hear what you would have us hear today so that we would leave this place transformed into not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. So as some of you know, I started my ministry career heavily involved in youth ministry. Now in youth ministry, there are three things you have to do if you want to be successful. You have to do a mission trip. You have to endure a lock-in. And you have to take the kids skiing. Apparently, that's just what you have to do. I mean, even my colleagues in Florida had to drive all the way up to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, or western North Carolina to take their kids skiing because that was just what you were expected to do. So, of course, we did all that. And one of the great things about ski lodges and ski places in in the southeast is that if you can ski anywhere in the southeast, you can ski around the world. But one of the great things about it is because that we are not, you know, we're more sometimes more beach people than anything else. That what we find is you have in every youth group, you have about those five or six kids that are diehard skiers. And so you can get them to the slopes at eight in the morning and they will ski until 10 o'clock at night. You have to make them come in to eat. And then there are the rest of the kids. They kind of dabble at skiing. Like they're excited to do it. They've got all the gear. They look good. They get out on the slopes. About three or four hours of that, falling around, wallowing in the snow, being cold, and they're done. So what happens is that every ski resort in western North Carolina has got a lodge. Now let me tell you about the lodge. Now that sounds exciting, right? It sounds like warm wood, cozy fires, a nice place to sit, right? Let me tell you what it is. It's a glorified cafeteria. It's not cozy at all. At best, it's a tepid 60 degrees all season long. Like if they opened it up in the summer, it would somehow be 60 degrees magically. There's a thin film on everything. Like the carpet was laid last week, and today there's a thin film of... Teenage funk is the only word that comes to mind. 
I don't know other than that. So anyway, we would take youth groups to all these places, and one of my favorite places is Winter Place, West Virginia. It's about two and a half hours up. I used to take my youth groups there. Uh, our youth group goes there. I joined Tammy and the kids earlier this year, so nothing's changed. Whoops. Nothing's changed. I mean, even when they changed the carpet, it's like they rolled out old carpet on top of old carpet. And so what happens is long, you know, all the adults come in there and they stake out their territory because it's a cafeteria, so you want to stake out the table where your group is going to eat because every group leader has learned you make the kids check in several times a day. And there's at least one or two parents that agree to be the lodge parent. Those are the saints of the church. You'll know why in just a second, if I haven't sold it as a sell point, right? So they come in and they stake out the church where it's like armed camps, like here's where, the, here's where the Methodist kids are, there's the Presbyterians over there, there's Baptists in there, and somewhere in the middle there's a scout troop that goes, wow, we've got like the religious trifecta all around us. But long about 1.30 in the afternoon, after the initial rush of lunch has happened, there are those kids that don't really want to go back out. And the Lodge parents there are trying to entertain them with card games or puzzles or something. And then the screen comes down. And the bass starts thumping. And they've hired some, you know, young adult-ish person on the staff of the ski lodge gets up and goes, Hey, y'all, guess what? It's time for afternoon karaoke! And all the adults just had this look like, I now know what it looks like if I don't go to heaven. See how I did that? I am convinced that's what it would be for me. But anyway, all of a sudden, you've got these kids that are hopping up on stage and they're belting out karaoke, their best Ariana Grande, whatever it is, whoever the pop song today is. Invariably, though, because Winter Place is in West Virginia, there's at least three renditions throughout the day of Take Me Home, Country Roads. You have the country rendition, you have the Bob Denver-esque rendition, and then you have one that I'm not really sure what to describe it as. But all I know is these kids are wailing away at singing, and they have so much joy, even if it's painful for the rest of us. So I thought about that as I think about music and the arts, how much we love to sing. And I thought about that in terms of another episode that I had a few years back, I'm sitting at the stoplight, and I heard this car coming before I saw it. I mean, the music was blaring. I mean, it was as if they had a loudspeaker, like they used to do for the politicians, and it was belting out Taylor Swift, her song 22, about, you know, going out at night, she and her friends, and all this kind of stuff, and how they were going to just have so much fun. And so I could hear it before I saw it, and then the car pulled up beside me, windows down, and I looked over, and singing along at the top of his lungs is a big, burly prison guard. Not what I imagined singing, not who I imagined singing Taylor Swift. But he was belting it out as if he was one of her best friends singing right along with her. Singing is good for us. We enjoy it. We, that's why we belt it out in the shower. That's why we sing in the stoplight. That's why we'll embarrass ourselves with karaoke. That's why sometimes we actually are good enough to join the choir. You all like it. Um, it's a good thing for us. Science has proven that it's good for us physically. It is a workout, not only of our voices, but our whole bodies. We find that it's a great social science experiment for us because when we sing, we're drawn together with each other. We, we, inv we invoke a circle of friends 
Those of us that have ever decided to try karaoke, it boosts your confidence because you think, if he can do it, I can do it. Whether you really can or not doesn't matter. But the other thing that it does, it gives us an appreciation for good singing, doesn't it? When we sing our hearts out and we know that we're not perfect, we're happy. But then we also know what really good singing sounds like. But it's also an emotional, psychological benefit for us. Singing is a natural antidepressant. It lowers our stress. It improves our mental acuity. But most importantly, singing is a part of our faith. Singing is a part of what we do. It helps us dial into that initial energy of creation and the creativity that God has given us and allows us to express God's Spirit in our hearts in ways that words are just inadequate. See, the church has always been a leader in the arts community. Sheila talked about that a little bit earlier, this idea of music and the arts. But we have been involved with the arts since the dawn of the church because we've realized in the church that it's in art that we express the creativity that God started when he said, let there be light. And so we see Michelangelo's famous sculpture of Mary holding the crucified Christ. We come into a place like this with soaring arches and columns and we cannot help but feel our hearts drawn up to heaven and to see that God's glory is all around us. Or maybe even to look at the stained glass windows and realize that not only are they beautiful pieces of art, but when we first started putting stained glass windows in church, it was at a time when literacy rates were really low. And so stained glass windows became a way for us, as if you will, like a storybook on the wall to tell our faith in pictures. Oftentimes we ridicule each other and friends. We talk about books that we read. Some of my friends will do this. I'll say, man, I'm reading the best book ever. And they'll say, first question is, it's not what's its title, what it's about. is how many pictures are in it. We're visual learners, aren't we? And so when we walk in and we see like this one over here, the story of John the Baptist, we begin to realize how important our faith is. The stories that are surround us and the images. If you spend time in here wandering through the sanctuary, looking at the windows, you begin to get an idea of how art and creativity inform our faith. So as you walk out of the church today, before you go to eliminate on the lawn, look at some of the artwork the creativity that has been inspired by God and gifted to us that some of our members and partners with City with Dwellings have done. But in our text today, it's about singing. It's about this idea of psalm of praise. It says that we should enter God's house. And it says we should shout to the Lord. We should worship with gladness. We should come with joyful souls and enter with thanksgiving. Why? Why should we do that every week? Why should we come in here with that feeling of greatness? Because the Lord God is good and God's love endures forever. There's one thing that you and I know that what started at creation, what lived through the resurrection, lives in our hearts because God's love for the world endures forever. And so we enter the sanctuary singing and praising because when the world hears our singing out the doors of this place, they know there's joy in here and they want to be a part of it. The music that we sing makes our souls soar. Think about the songs. I watched your faces as we processed in, as we sang, how much it brings our hearts up. But it's the words. 
It's the words that matter the most because the words resound our faith. They reach deep into us and they draw us closer to God. It's in that moment that we're engaged in our faith because we sing not only with the spirit of the tune and the music, but the words spell out what's so important to us. It's an affirmation of who we are in in terms of believers. It knits us together as a community and holds us close. As our voices unite, we become like threads in textiles where if one thread is missing, the whole piece falls apart. Our singing, our hymns, and our anthems are about faith formation and our relationships with each other and with our God in heaven. In just a few minutes, we will hear more singing, more anthems, more music. And I want to share about a couple of them with you because I think they tell the story of our faith in so wonderful ways. Soon the choir is going to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And when Martin Luther wrote this hymn, when he wrote these words, it was a response to the martyrdom of a friend of his. Because even in his depth of sadness, he realized that God was who we could anchor our faith into even as we're challenged. This hymn has been translated in 53 different languages, and because it was written in German, and in German there's some plain and easy phrases that translate well within the German culture and the German language, but don't translate well to others. And so therefore, there's oddly enough about a hundred different English translations of this hymn alone, trying to get just it right what John, what, what Martin Luther was coming up with. See, it's based on Psalm 46. It's about this idea of the clash between good and evil, God and the devil. And it says, God is on our side. We have the right man on our side. Christ Jesus, it is he. So as we listen to that, it informs our faith that no matter what we're facing in the world, no matter what evil that's out there, that God is on our side and that you and I don't have to fear that. Instead, we have this great anchor this great fortress that can protect us in God. But our final piece, the final piece, Blessed Assurance, it is among the ten most popular hymn tunes amongst Methodists. Go figure. Somebody's actually done the math to do a list on this, but it's amongst the the ten popular ones. It's about Scripture and it's about life. When Franny Crosby wrote the words, she said that one of her ideas behind this was, she said, a successful song... A successful hymn is an instant marriage between the tune and the words. Between the tune and the lyrics, they have to tell the story together. If they don't, it falls apart like a cheap sweater. So our friend of ours wrote the tune to it and sat there and taught her. And she said, Fanny, let me play this tune. Tell me what it says to you. And so she played it. Fanny's words were, I'll tell you what it says to me. It says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Lost in his spirit. Lost in his love. So she wrote that. She said, that's what that tune says to me. So in this case, the tune itself informed the words. But the rest of the story is even more amazing. Because it's a story of this idea of this Wesleyan perfection, of understanding of perfection. But when she writes, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, here's what you may not know. Fanny Crosby was blind. Blind since six weeks old. And so she wrote all of her hymn tunes 
without the sight that you and I enjoy. So think about this then. When she's talking about heaven and about the glory and blessed assurance that Jesus has heard, and she writes, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. She's trying to imagine what it'll be like on the other side when she can see clearly as you and I do and how glorious it will be. It's a personal revelation of her faith and what it means to her. So what about for you and for me as we sing it? What about you and me as we hear it, as it speaks to our hearts, as it lifts us up, as the words and the tune are married together? How does it inform our faith of what God has in store for us? See, when we come into this place, we don't just sing because that's what the order of worship says. There's no formula that says you got to have an opening hymn, you got to have a closing hymn, the choir should do an anthem. No, that's a part of what we do. It's part of the fabric of worship because it's in our singing that we sing our faith and our hearts are tuned to God. Martin Luther wrote that next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. And as we gather for worship in this place, we truly live that. Because it's in music that we find revelation and grace. It's in music that we find a close tie of the God that created us, redeems us, and sustains us every day in life. So as we come into this place, as we sing, as we offer our praise, let our singing glorify God, let it open our hearts, but more importantly, let it spill out from us as we leave this place so that people want to know and dial into the joy that you and I feel. The joy that just makes people want to stare in a good way. Stare and be a part of it. Stare and say, man, they really love their church. They really love their faith. There is something going on in their heart that speaks to them. God must really have touched them in a way to make their hearts just sing and be lifted up for all to hear. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.